Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewurz, Vice President of the North Star Meetings Group Sports Division and the Executive Editor and Publisher of Sports Travel. And our guest on this episode is Tom Cove, the President and CEO of the Sports and Fitness Industry Association. SFIA has recently come out with their annual top-line participation report that tracks which sports are on the upswing and which are trending the other way based on participation rates. As always, it's a fascinating look into where organized sports are trending and which sports to keep an eye on in the months to come. And yes, we're going to have to talk about pickleball as part of the discussion. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by Visit Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Nothing brings people together like sports, and no place brings people together like the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. There, you'll find first-class facilities and an experienced planning team that will make sure your sports or esports event goes off without a hitch. And when the games end is where the real play begins, because the beach is 60 miles of endless activities and entertainment for all ages. Your event belongs at the beach. Start planning at MyrtleBeachSports.com. And now, on to the conversation. The Sports and Fitness Industry Association for years has been studying which sports people participate in and how often. Perhaps just as important, they also track the number of people who say they don't participate in anything at all. For professionals in the sports event industry, there's a tremendous amount of interesting data in the SFIA's top-line participation report, from which individual sports are trending well to which team sports are trending well. If you're the organizer or a host city of a sports tournament or event, knowing where the interest lies could be the key to a successful future. As you'll hear, there's no doubting the incredible growth that pickleball has seen not just in the past year, but for the past several years. But pickleball is not alone. In fact, all racket sports are on the upswing, including tennis, which has the largest participation of all. In this conversation with SFIA President and CEO Tom Cove, we take a deep dive into the organization's latest report and talk about what sports and trends he's keeping an eye on next. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Tom Cove, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. I should say welcome back to the Sports Travel Podcast. We don't have too many recurring guests on this particular part of what we do, but you are, you are one of them, and I've done that by design. It's a, uh, it's a pleasure to see you again and to talk some research with you one more time. Thanks for having me. I'm it's glad to be back. Good to see you, Jason. <laughs> so uh, your recent SFIA top line participation uh, report has come out. And uh, we talked about this a year ago, and we're talking about it again, because I do think our audience of uh, event rights holders and even destinations and venues can get just so much information out of here that you guys are kind of the leaders here in tracking the different trends in sports, who's playing what, who's participating in what. And uh, I think there's a lot of value there uh, for our audience, uh, you know, if they're doing things correctly to kind of see where the winds are blowing. And we're going to take a deep dive in here, Tom, on on some of the specific sports that you guys track. But uh, always best to start at a at a high level here because there's some good news uh, in here overall when you track just the the volume of people who are participating in something. So let's kind of start there. And as a as a quick recap for our audience, Tom, as always, just a, a quick reminder. On this particular report, you know how many people you're surveying and and what the purpose of this is. Why don't we start there and then we'll we'll kind of dig in a little bit. Sure. So I'll start with the research nerd side of the house. I, I love me. I love the research nerd stuff. Let's get it out of the way. But I, <laughs> yeah, I right. enjoy this but part. it's good and frankly, it's a big part of why 
uh, we invest so much because the more you commit to a certain serious methodology over the years, it turns out to be very valuable. So, okay, so we do, we are part, SFI is the, is the largest part of the Physical Activity Council, which is a consortium of eight major organizations, this mind, fitness, sports, um, and, and individual sports, uh, the health club industry, the, the golf industry, the tennis industry, the uh, winter sports industry, the who am I miss outdoor, uh, and uh, and a couple of other specifics, bikes, and uh, and then f- football as well. It's just specifically, and and we get together and we put a lot of effort and put a lot of money into the idea of having a survey in the field every month of actual Americans, six year olds and over, and we we survey just under two thousand a, a month, and we ask them simply what they did. And over a period of a year, then we can identify their annual, but then we drill down how much, where they were from and how much they spend and how much they played and and all that sort of thing. The bottom line is that we have a survey of more than 18,000 people a year, uh, completely random and and not uh, sampled and, and appropriate for the entire population. And it creates, most importantly, an independent assessment of the number of people that play what sports, how much they play across 124 different sports. So a part of the consortium idea, and this is the last part of the nerd part, is that for years, everybody had their own numbers. If you have an event, if you're a governing body, if you're a high school, if you're this or that, everybody would have different numbers. The fact that we have both a consortium and then we do it year after year after year allows us to say, and we just ask Americans, we don't say, did you play in this team or did you play in this tournament? We do that. But the most important question is, did you play where and how many times? And so you get a very unbiased uh, assessment of really how many people, but most important, the trend. Is it going up? Is it going down? Where and why? Yeah, I love it. So let's start kind of at the 50,000 foot level here. The good news in this report is that people are participating in things. Uh, the number, both the volume and the percentage, uh, it looked like year to year last year went up uh, as far as uh, overall participation. Not only last year, but the number of Americans that participated in some sort of sport or physical activity. And again, I, I just said we have 124 that we measure went up for the fifth year in a row. That is sounds good and saying it is good. It's not automatic because it wasn't going up for a while, a, a decade ago. So that's terrific. Even better for us, importantly, is the number of core participants went up for the fifth year in a row. So that is people who are doing things enough that they are committed to the sport. They might be spending more money or traveling. They might be buying product. They understand brand. They are bringing more people to it. And the core designation is fundamentally a simple number that we identify if you do it enough times to be committed to the sport. So the idea that people are doing more and the core group is growing are the two best news big picture that we can get. Turns out that the casual number, which is basically if you're not core, you're casual um, summing to a total, that's going up more. So there's a lot to work with and we can dive into it. But the big picture is Americans came out of COVID, out of the pandemic period with an awareness of fitness and sports and the benefits of health, benefits of sport to health. And they are acting to get there. But there's still some 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 sort of hurdles to get over. We can talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I love that this report focuses on that mix of the what you call the casual participant and then this core participant. Because if you're if you're really in the research, I mean, you guys track uh, as you said well over a hundred 
activities. I mean, you've, you've got all of this stuff tracked uh, year over year, three year, five year trends on who's casually participating, who's really into it and, you know, plays multiple times a year. So uh, again, I think there's just a lot to dive into. And and before we get into some of those details, this is kind of the flip side, as always in this report, Tom, uh, you also, of course, track the number of people who uh, say they're inactive, who go through your massive list and somehow can't find anything on that list that they even casually participated in. And while that number is going down, I think a lot of people would still be surprised at at how big that number remains. Yeah, you got it all right there, Jason. That, that uh, for years I've talked about uh, what we now are calling totally inactive because it's almost an extreme measure. It's when you ask uh, an American six-year-old or over, uh, "Did you do one of these activities?" It's not just football, baseball, basketball, hockey, yeah. lacrosse. It's you know sailing and skiing. It's walking for fitness. It's tai chi. It's every swimming. It's virtually anything you could possibly do in a physical activity sense. And and so you ask which did you do? And we were getting pretty consistently over a period of 10 years, 28, 27, 28% of the American public would self-identify as, no, I didn't do anything. I didn't do, I mean, shocking. 80 million people. In the last three years, that number has gone down consistently. And it's now at about 68 million, which is about 23% of the population, six-year-old number. That's terrific, but it's still Almost 25% of the population. And interestingly, uh, you know, I, I know you're in this world as I am, Jason. You go to all these events and you're with people who are so into sports and the commitment they make and the families and the way they order their lives. And you think, how could that possibly be? But I've been giving speeches for a long time. And I actually ask audiences, particularly business or community audiences, and say, close your eyes and think about it. Does it make sense that 25% of people don't do a single thing? And almost everybody starts with saying, no way. And then they go, actually, yeah, now that Mm -hmm. I think about all the people I know. So we have a huge opportunity and we're already making good progress with regard to coming out of COVID, but it's a long way to go. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, Tom, let's dive in here. You know that we are going to talk about pickleball in this podcast. We sort of have to. And there are some very interesting things across all the racket sports. But let's just start with with this one, because we have to. When you go through your report, and I encourage everyone listening here to get access to this report. We'll talk about it at the end as to how you do that. Um, But you can go through and see, you know, pages and pages of numbers. And it seems to me, Tom, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for a sport to have, say, a good increase in participation year over year, I mean, maybe that's 3% or 4%, you know, something like that jumps out. Pickleball last year, you reported 85% increase just year over year. And when you break that out over three years, 158%. These must be silly numbers for you guys. They they absolutely are, Jason. And and what's probably more impressive is the three-year, because any one year you can kind of either surge for some reason, or you can work from a really small base. But if you are continuing, like last year, it was 39 for pickleball, it's 39%, almost unprecedented, historic. And this year, it's even more than that. And you had three years, and then you're building on the base. If you can continue to, and it'd be even close to just double-digit growth in a in a mature sport, uh, you're in you're in good shape. This is unbelievable, and and it really speaks to I think you you know well, and I, we may have even talked about it in the past. But there's a fundamental difference about pickleball that is 
It's able to be picked up quickly, and it is a sport that can be enjoyed quickly, and it is not expensive to play. It is accessible. And these things, and now you start to see the second-tier effects of that's the way people come to understand it. But now there's competitions. Now there are teachers. Now that it's on TV, and you see those things building on. So you say, how can you maintain that momentum of growth? 158% in three years. And some numbers, some estimates from other folks are even more than that. That's kind of pie in the sky. But there is massive, sustainable growth in pickleball. And people say, well, is it just, is it a fad? It is so far, so past being a fad. It is, is it just old people? No, it's not just old people at all. And you start to look at how a sport can really become ingrained. And once it is being played, you start getting into physical education classes and Pickleball lends itself well to pickleball, to physical education. You can put up a court. You can put a bunch of kids in and out. So when we anticipate, people say all the time, what do you see? Well, at some point, it's going to, it's going to steady and, and it can't maintain those rates of growth. But do we think it goes down? No, we do not. We think it has got a long runway of steady, strong growth. Yeah, I, I sense it's maturing, Tom, and I'll give you a couple of examples. We just recently received a bid packet from a professional pickleball league asking us you know, to spread the word on potential venues and sites for their events. We've never seen that before. The growth of, of venues is continuing for that sport for sure. But to see you know, some of these uh, more organized efforts you know, uh, start to ingrain themselves, even in, with our audience, of we want to be involved in these conversations. We want our events to look bigger. We want to be you know, yeah. more conscious about it. That's interesting. And uh, more anecdotally, on the on the home front, literally on the home front, down the street from where I live uh, in suburban Denver, there's a, a tennis shop. You know, they sell tennis equipment. I've been there forever, and I noticed driving by just this weekend that they had changed their sign, and it's now you know tennis and pickleball. So when yeah. I see small, you know, subtle things like that, I'm like, you know, it's uh, this is really getting ingrained. Here. No question about that. You just captured all both the, the hard numbers and the anecdotal, and they lend really well to each other. I would say uh, there are the natural and normal and predictable, but serious potential growing pains coming. So people ask me, so I'll just anticipate a couple of them would be right now we're having the issues around conflict. So you mentioned tennis and, and pickleball. All of a sudden, you've got a bunch of tennis players who want to play on the tennis court and you've got pickleball set up as a, a and there's a conflict. How communities manage that is going to be a huge element of how pickleball can maintain growth. Similarly, how the players act, like there's a very, mm -hmm. if they are, you know, welcoming and friendly, or if they sort of get kind of standoffish, that's going to push that second and third tier of new player away. So if all of it, right now, pickleball is one of the most welcoming sports around. Everybody's, nobody's that good at them. There are clearly really good players. Uh, and then the third one is they've got these, you know, as you mentioned, professional leagues. So there's a number, there's actually three professional yeah. leagues. Um, and there's now competing TV contracts. There's the possibility of it sort of gets too fast, too much. And it's, it's, you know, depending on how that plays out, mixed messages, et cetera. So it's not, none of that is an insurmountable problem, but it is something to be aware of. That's the way sports grow and that's the way they may run into some sort of hurdles that they can't get over. Yeah. And I alluded to this before. It's, uh, it's not just pickleball. You track racket sports where, you know, we're talking tennis and, and racquetball and the like. And all those numbers are up 17.6% growth year over year in all the racket sports. What do you think is happening there? Is that, is a little bit of that a pickleball wave or people? Yeah, maybe that's a great question. 
the tennis people would certainly say it's the other way around. We, for we, for we, sure. Yeah. Uh, no no offense to the but, tennis people. Maybe no, that is what's it happening. Is, it is true. Let's put it this way. Uh, well, first of all, the, the idea that even smaller sports like, uh, you know, squash and maybe even racquetball and other sports, there, there's something happening. People are becoming more aware. It's lifestyle. It's fun. That's point number one. Point number two is people are going back to things. So racquetball has always been a sport that people played in college. And then they never mm-hmm. played it again. So maybe they, during COVID or for whatever reason, they felt more inclined to do that. But big story is tennis. Tennis is strong and tennis has such a bigger base. I mean, tennis is a yeah. legacy sport. So its growth, which has been impressive, you have to give credit to the leader in the field at some point that they are doing good things and they are creating experiences. And I know your listenership is all about a good experience in the way, so as are we in terms of how you build a sport. It's getting more attuned to the needs of the players. And that is making a difference, whether it's the new player, the returning player, the competitive player, the social player, the underprivileged or under-resourced player. There's a variety of specific things that you know, a number of sports are doing, but tennis has done a good job in that regard. After years of decline, they have turned it around and against a, a, a much bigger base than even pickleball. It's impressive. Yeah. And that's uh that is absolutely a fair point. We've talked about this in the past while pickleball's percentage growth uh, is off the charts. We're still talking about a still a, a smaller subset than, for instance, those who identify as being tennis players. Uh, so for a sport like tennis to have any yeah. uh, you know percentage growth, we're talking big numbers. Uh, in there as well. So that's uh, that's always interesting. You guys, of course, uh, don't just track individual sports. You track a variety of team sports. You break it out that way, which would be of particular interest to our audience as they seek to host uh, events that have large number of teams who's participating in what. We saw a drop, of course, during the pandemic, which makes absolute sense as people weren't able to participate in team sports. And uh, it seems to me, Tom, from reading the numbers, we're we're seeing things uh, get back up to more historical levels with regards to uh, people participating in sports at a team level. Yeah, that's a the team thing is fascinating, uh, Jason. And point number one is we have seen a very strong return at the higher commitment levels, the travel teams and the competitive premier, et cetera. Uh, that is great because that also that sort of shows those who are most committed. Importantly, on that. Uh, that we, it's important to note and probably important to your listeners, the economic impact of COVID during the, or the pandemic for the couple of years was kind of weird because actually more people, people had some money in their pocket for a variety of reasons. And, mm-hmm. and so when they came out of the COVID pandemic, there was not the same sort of recession impact where they had lost a lot of money. They had actually made more money in the stock market. They'd made a little bit more money because they hadn't spent as much the experiences in travel and all that. They hadn't done that. And so then they had money to go right in. And we did see that go back and people couldn't wait to get back. Terrific. So that's that's fine. That's good. It's better than fine. Uh, what we are seeing a little bit, though, is it probably not the full return yet to pre-pandemic levels overall for team sports participation, even though there's strong recovery. And what we see specifically on that is if your team was broken up and you're a 12, 11, 12, 13-year-old, and you didn't play for two years, and you're not like a hardcore player, then maybe you got out of the, you know, you never, you were there for your friends and you played for, you liked it, but you you went on to do different things. 
And so we we have not recovered to the full number of team sports participants. And honestly, uh, it was big in 19, 20 went way down, 21 came back to more than half of returns. So that looked good. But the trend all the way back hasn't quite been there. And what we see, though, is very strong at the youth level, um, at the young, young level, six, seven, eight-year-olds. And frankly, we don't track it, but we hear a lot of anecdotal data about even younger than that. And so that bodes well. Those are coming on to teams for now a 12, potential 12-year life lifespan of being on a team. So that's a good news thing. But the reality is that when tweeners, if you will, and maybe high schoolers are taken away, their team is taken away, it's much harder to go back. And they may not be there, and we may have lost a couple of years in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, living that in my own household with my son who just turned 13, and we had a, a very similar experience. His interests post-pandemic way different than they were pre-pandemic in any momentum, you know, as one example that he might have had in a particular sport as a turn the other direction, which may just be a 13-year-old thing or maybe a pandemic. <laughs> it's funny. I laugh. I'm looking at you. We're both smiling. My kids are older now, but that is a 13-year-old thing for sure. <laughs> and it's not just 13. But it's also, let's be honest, it's a pandemic-related thing as well. Yeah. And to think about your own life for anybody's life, we used to drive to work five days a week. We'd go out and do that thing. We'd go to the health club three days a week, whatever. People have changed. And part of this message we try to really reinforce with our friends and the partners in the sports community is don't take it for granted. They People are parents, kids, coaches, et cetera. They want to come back. But they're not as willing just to take it for whatever it is. If it is not a positive experience, if they're not, if there isn't a sense of being, you know, really, you know, aware of the needs of the family, if, if you will, and the, and the issues, whether they be cost or access or time, you're going to lose some of these kids. And we need to be really vigilant to say there are different levels of commitment more than ever after the pandemic when some people are like, I want my children to come back, but I'm not going a whole hog 11 months of the year going to, you know, some sort of five day a week deal. I've got other things to do. My kids have got other things to do. And even the players are saying, I want to do other things. So for us to really move forward, we need to give that broad experience at the premier level, but all the way down into the less competitive and even rec and make it good for everybody. And it'll build over time. You're listening to the Sports Travel Podcast, which is being sponsored by Visit Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Nothing brings people together like sports, and no place brings people together like the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. There, you'll find first-class facilities and an experienced planning team that will make sure your sports or esports event goes off without a hitch. And when the games end is when the real play begins, because the beach is 60 miles of endless activities and entertainment for all ages. Your event belongs at the beach. Start planning at MyrtleBeachSports.com. And now back to the conversation. So let's call out a few sports on the team level uh, from your report over the last couple of years that have seen some some nice growth. Basketball, we talked about that a year ago, remains very popular. I saw soccer, uh, flag football, uh, even tackle football to some extent. Uh, these all seem to be trending in the right direction. Yep. Well, Jason, you, you just named the ones that are doing the best. It's a, you're a good reader, and I give you <laughs> credit. You, and you. Appreciate it. I got the same list out on my. Well, you know what? What are that? And, and I'll just quickly touch on a couple of them. basketball. Yeah. Said, and, and you and I have talked in the past. It's the single sport in America that is often, if not regularly, played in an informal basis. And this is a lesson we can all learn. But it basically, think about it. You don't need to play with a any kind of referee or uniform or rules or formal indoor, outdoor, 
five persons on a team, all of the things that it's informal. You can play it by yourself. You can play it with a, somebody who's got a different capability or or somebody who's super competitive one-on-one. And that is really during the COVID period jumped out. Like he, and, and we went over 30% of, you know, sort of seven and eight, nine-year-olds in America are playing basketball at least at least once a year. We never had any sport that was over 30% per that age group. So that's that's really big. Second, the idea that uh, soccer, we, we really see a resurgence in outdoor soccer in particular. And part of that is that they had a, they had some tough times in the in five, six, seven years ago. They changed their age mandate. There were issues around how they were putting, they broke up teams, et cetera. They're on track now. And then if you think about going forward, you've got the women, the men's World Cup that just finished. You got the women's World Cup this year. And then the U.S. women, when they play well, gets to draw a lot yep. of attention. Then you have the, Paris Olympics, where the women will play again in 24. Then you have the men's World Cups in 26 in this country. And then you have the Olympics in LA again. So if you, you can't get better and men and women with both men and women playing better in a lot of the turn. And you've got younger people, you know, the, the, the more six year olds playing in activity than we've seen in a number of years. And a lot of them are playing soccer. So the, the, the forward look for soccer is very, very strong. And, and flag football is the same way. You just see an enormous amount of effort being put to bring people into the flag world, whether it's girls or whether it's young kids that don't want to play tackle or whatever. There's a lot of different things happening. The NFL is committed to it. They've got a really good grassroots program. So the things that build youth sports are really in play for those three in particular, basketball, flag and outdoor soccer. Yeah, and flag's a big one. We're tracking that too. Uh, we saw the NFL, as you mentioned, showcase flag football at their Pro Bowl recently, and they are also pushing for that to be the Olympic discipline one day. Yes. You know, in, the, in a best case scenario for them. So we're we're kind of watching that one closely as well. Well, and, and not incidentally, they not only showcased it prominently at the Pro Bowl, they changed the entire Pro Bowl gig, <laughs> but they put a pretty high profile commercial right in the middle of the Super Bowl yeah. with a. A Latina female playing, you know, a star player who ran through, uh, you know, that's a that's a pretty strong commitment. If you think about the, the kind of real estate that that it costs to put an mm-hmm. NFL commercial, NFL based funded commercial at the in the middle of the Super Bowl, yeah, that's a commitment. All right. Well, this is the part of the podcast where maybe I surprise you a little bit, Tom, to show you I'm taking a deep dive. I'm not just reading the executive summary of your report. <laughs> I've been at a number of events recently in the running space, in the uh, sort of endurance sports space. Uh, we uh, moderated a conference for World Athletics late last year, and I uh, was just at the Running USA annual conference. So race directors uh, you know, involved in mass participation events, which we track closely just because of the volume of people that might travel to it. I was looking at one of the interesting, one of the many interesting things in your report is we were talking earlier about the N actives, you know, you, you you ask them, you know, if you don't do anything. And then you also ask them if you were to do something, what would you do? And one of the things that jumped out to me as a op- potential opportunity for people in our audience was when you look at those younger uh, people who were inactive and you ask them what they want to do, a lot of them want to fish and camp, which sort of makes sense. Maybe the least active things uh, on some of the lesser active things on your list that are still active, but maybe not as active. But I noticed uh, running and jogging appear pretty high on the list for, you know, for some of those younger people who are inactive. Uh, it's an, obviously easy, it's affordable. But I looked at that, Tom, and I saw an opportunity there for the for the running industry, just looking at even the people who aren't involved in, in stuff there. There's an interest there that, that seems like there could be some potential. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a lot to unpack there. So let, let's take a couple of ways to look at it. So first thing is, 
Again, not to emphasize the pandemic, but the fact of the matter is a lot of people during the pandemic took up new activities and there were family activities and there were things that you could do walk out of your house without a lot of commitment. So that lends itself to running. You start walking and then you go running and jogging and all that. So um, that's one thing. Second, track and field as a sport for high school is one of the other welcoming sports. It's one of the, you know, again, few that you can join a team. You don't have to be good at so many different things you can do. You can run fast. You can run long. You can jump. You can do hurdles. You can, you know, throw something and you have different body types, et cetera. So the concept of track and field when you when a kid wants to go out and make a team is is very attractive. Third thing is. There's, you know, a lot of really great now clubs that are creating a social activity. It used to be runners were not only this, but they were kind of lone wolves. You know, I get out there and I just, I run and I go. Now it's much more we train together. We talk about it. We engage. We have social media. We we have techniques um, and people are working on it. And then a lot of the good running clubs have made it more fun. They've created gamification. They've created technologies that they can use. and so. Anybody can run. So it goes back a little bit to pickleball. Anyone can go get better if you just try to run more. So there's an attractiveness to say, you can do this. So it really is who's bringing them along and how are they coming along in terms of new to the sport. Uh, and then a lot, you know, girls run girl, go, go, girl, go. There's been a lot of that. It's really created a positive identity for females, young females in running as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, one of the themes in both those events I was at was trail running, which I noticed was another activity yeah. that is on the upswing, according to uh, to your statistics, which did not surprise me based on what we're hearing out there as well. And and it goes to what you're saying, Tom, too. They, you know, some of the research at uh, Running USA, just as an example, showed that the younger generations uh, don't necessarily want to be the lone wolf. You know, if they're going to go to an event, they want it to be social. They want to do it with their friends. Uh, they may yep. sign up at the last minute, you know, if if they see that some of their friends or buddies are going to do it as well. So uh, I think we're yeah, seeing tie in there. You know, the, the running experts in, in my world, people that, you know, make shoes and all of that in the, in, in your world as well, I'd say, would you know, there was an explosion about 10 years ago around the change in the nature of the runner in America. And it moved from that, that uh, as it was described to me by the president, one of the biggest running brands, the typical runner went from. I am a runner to I run. Mm -hmm. I, I more or I complete versus I compete. There's a couple of those things that is just how do we get kids and others to feel the joy of the sport and feel that accomplishment for having whether it's a 5K or a 10K or, you know, a marathon, et cetera. And trail running is an outdoor thing. So it's, it's that experience lifestyle that's more motivating than to say, I'm going to, you know, make the Boston Marathon couple other quick things while I have you here that popped out at me and I'd be happy to hear ones that popped out to you that I'm not calling out but uh just because they you know like everything they you know the ones that's that speak to me so I live in Denver and I have access to skiing and winter sports you guys track winter sports which was interesting to me too as a personal example I own a pair of snowshoes but I no longer own a pair of downhill skis which is reflective of where my own activity personally has been and I noticed uh, in the winter sports too we saw a dip in alpine skiing but uh, an increase in some of the other uh, sports, you know, that are maybe a little more accessible or affordable, like, uh, you know, snowshoeing or fat biking and some of the other interesting things on your list. Yeah, we would we would classify it in two or three ways. First one is it's all about lifestyle and lifestyle is all about a certain comfort. You don't necessarily so as people get older, 
as people don't, haven't been in a position to ski as much or be physically, you know, they look for other opportunities. You know, going downhill in, in, in Colorado is a you got to be skilled in some ways. Uh, walking in snowshoes is it takes resilience and 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 uh, strength and endurance, but it doesn't necessarily take a huge amount of skill. No, no offense to you. No Jason. offense taken. And uh, no. to, to be fair, but, I enjoy skiing, and I still I still do it. But in terms of my own uh, ownership of equipment, it's uh, you know it's I know you guys factor that, engage that in as well. And it's it's access. Like you can you know you can do it. You don't have to spend all day doing it. And people are thinking about how can I incorporate my fitness, my health, my discretionary kind of physical activity in in, in context of all these other things I kind of want to do, right? And so the idea of saying, and it doesn't cost whatever it costs to go on a mountain today compared to <laughs> snowshoeing. So does that mean that it is one going one way all the way? No, because people do enjoy skiing and yeah. it's more fun and more competitive and more this and more that. And but at the end of the day, what we see in a lot of the, when you whether it's trail running, whether it's um snowshoeing is some of that is family activity. Some of that is simply being outdoors and appreciation for being outdoors and being healthy. We've never, it's never been higher. It's always with a certain group, maybe all of your neighbors in Colorado, we're always like that. But the rest of the country has come around too in a post pandemic world to say, it's good to be outside. And if I can walk or take a run on the, the trail, it's better. No, for sure. My next door neighbors uh, in, in support of the ski industry, they they have a place up in Steamboat Springs and they're skiing, you know, five days a week if, if they can yeah. up yeah. there. So it's uh, it's absolutely personal lifestyle uh, to an extent there as well. So, uh, Tom, what are we missing? Anything else, uh, you know, in your report that jumped out at you at a at a high level? I mean, we can pick any one of these things. And, and in the end, of course, I encourage everyone to really take a look at all of these trends because there's so much great information in there. But uh, was there anything that surprised you? One way well, or the other. There's a, there's a couple of things that I would say is uh, uh, the big picture that, that, that team sports still have work to do to come all the way back, even though a lot of us, as we look around and feel it and anecdotally go to events, it's like, man, it's booming. I go to a lot of tournaments and they're great. And kids are happy. Families are happy. I, I just it does my heart warm. But it's it's the people you don't know. What happens to all the people that were on a team that are no longer? You don't see them necessarily because they're. They're, they're not as visible, but let's pay attention. Let's make sure that we reach out to them and think about what's keeping. The second thing is relative to any kind of committed sport is we have had a kind of a looming recession for a while, but we've never really had the recession. If a recession were to come, how's that going to affect us, right? And, and are people going to be in a position to still travel? We've kind of dodged the bullet and we're doing well, but but you just never know. So we we try to help our companies to appreciate what's that consumer confidence. And one one of the things today is they want to go back to sports and they want to spend on they want to spend on their kids and they want to have a good family experience. But there is always an element at some point that if things outside their control happen, whether it's they have a job situation or whether the costs of things get too much. So we try to try to re-emphasize, even though costs are going up for everybody. Inflation is a crushing blow. We got to be careful because we could be priced out if we're not attuned to, you know, people are going to pay for their groceries and their gas first. We all know how that happened in the last year. And we got to be attuned to, while it really hasn't happened so far, we're getting to the point where we can't pass on costs that they've gone on too much. And if we pass them on in the future, we might not be able to maintain that customer. 
Yeah, no, that's a, it's an excellent point as we look uh, to the year ahead. And I think we're keeping an eye on that for pretty much everything we write about uh, as well. As you said, uh, you know, that would, that would be a game changer for sure. Well, uh, you know, as we wrap up, Tom, uh, this may be a loaded question, maybe one you don't like to answer, but I'll ask it anyway. When you look at your list, you know, those 140 or so uh, activities, uh, obviously, you know, Pickleball is an outlier at the moment, and we all know where that's going. Any candidates in there, you know, any uh, sports or activities you're looking at well, if we were have this conversation a year from now that uh, that you're kind of eyeing to see uh, maybe they're on the upswing or maybe a, a, a sleeper in there that uh, is ready to erupt? You know, uh, there's about 20 people that have called me in the last six months. Oh, it's the same thing now, you know, whether it's <laughs> disc golf or tech ball or or futsal or there's a variety there's always yeah. stuff what i would say is a couple of things what we have seen is the almost unlimited thirst in this country for new opportunities for fun and, and doing stuff like pickleball fits it so i don't have the answer but i know there's going to be something second in the big picture for us which isn't really your your listeners as much as you know the the fitness club has been the slowest to return and that makes a lot of sense it, they had to close a lot of doors um they went out of business but uh even people not coming to work you don't go to your club anymore you even you stayed at home etc the world's getting going back to work a lot more they're getting back into other routines so some things like the traditional kinds of rec sports that were to the old routine and fitness club activity we see is going to get better in a, it's been slower than other things coming back and then we're watching closely things like technology around uh, traditional sports so we see golf technology simulator top golf gamification all of those things if you had to, if you did just ask me and i'd say look at what's going to be a gamification of a sport that will keep the young people engaged that you know, if you can't beat them, join them. And so embrace their phone, embrace imagery, embrace social media. And those are the sports that we think are going to actually drive participation uh, for young people going forward. Yeah, excellent. Well, that is a, a perfect way, I think, to end this conversation, Tom. We'll see if you're willing to be back with us next year, uh, how much of that has, has played out in the numbers. And, uh, you know, will pickleball break 100% <laughs> next year? They're, they're trying yeah, at some there. point... It <laughs> Yeah, what do you think? I, I, I turn it around. You're you're an expert in a lot of things. All sports. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sure. I'll say this on pickleball. We've been writing about that sport for years. Back when it was seen and probably was more of an activity, maybe for the for the senior set, uh, and wasn't quite as let's say mature as far as an event landscape. And it does not surprise me at all to see what's happened with it. Uh, the pace in the last couple of years, I'd say, has has surprised me. Uh, a bit. And you touched on it earlier. I think we're already seeing it uh, inevitable consolidation at the highest level, you know, with all of these professional leagues, how many professional leagues can a, an emerging sport, uh, you know, necessarily handle before uh, they need for necessity to figure out a way to combine and, and, you know, make themselves a little more valuable on that end. So uh, not surprised by it. We probably have conversations on a daily basis at this point about pickleball one way or the other. It, it tends to work its way into the conversation. So I also don't think it's going anywhere. But like you, I, I don't think any sport can maintain quite that level of growth. But it's been fascinating to watch. And and it's one that we've got a, a, a close eye on for sure. Yeah, well, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Tom, thanks so much. Oh, before we go, uh, for those who uh, we left out uh, quite a few details this is a very long report. As I said, all the activities that you made reference to are, uh, you know, referred to in in, in a deep dive, uh, which I do encourage people to take. Uh, how can people access it? Where can they get their hands on your research? 
Thanks for the opportunity, Jason. So sfia.org uh, is where we uh, you can find all of our reports. The top line sports participation report is the one we've just issued, and that's available there, as is the team sports report, as is uh, more than 100 reports on individual sports, state of the industry, and and a variety of fitness. We do a, we do a lot of research. So sfia.org, uh, and you can always come and join us as a member and get a lot of that as part of your membership as well. Absolutely. Tremendous. All right. Thank you, Tom, as always, for your time and attention. Appreciate it. And uh, look forward to continuing this discussion in the, uh, in the years to come. Thanks for the opportunity. See you, Jason. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports events industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at sportstravel on Twitter and Instagram, and at sportstravelmagazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason words for sports travel and thanks for listening.